Today, we bust the myth that real estate auctions are just for desperate sellers. Selling a luxury property is difficult, even in the best of markets. In this episode of Luxury Real Estate Talk, find out how real estate auctions are filling the void for sellers of high-end properties who want speed, certainty, and control in this competitive market. You'll learn about the challenges sellers are facing in the traditional market, whether a real estate auction might be right for you, how much an auction costs, and more. Whether you're buying your dream property or selling a million-dollar home, why not get the highest price and the best advice? This is Luxury Real Estate Talk, the art and business of buying and selling high-end homes with stories and insider knowledge from top luxury agents nationwide and around the globe. Here's our host, Rob Jensen. This is episode 24 with Chad Roffers, chairman of global luxury real estate company, Concierge Auctions. So Chad, auctions are really taking off these days. Why do you think that is? You know, I think that there's really a couple of factors that go into that. I think the main thing is, is that the consumer, especially the affluent consumer, has so much control in their life today around, you know, where they live, where they go, how they get there. And when it comes to selling a piece of real estate, their expectations around how quickly they should be able to get the result they want has, you know, been decreasing steadily over time. And I think, you know, the backdrop of that is certainly, I think two things, you know, Uber, everything Uber, you know, we all expect to get what we want, the single click on an app. And I think that's important. I think the other thing is, you know, we also live in this backdrop of a really what I characterize as a Zillow world where transparency around the history of a property is just, you know, it's public information. And, you know, when a property goes on the market, those days on market tick fast. And a property goes from being new to the market and interesting to being stale and stagnant quickly. Got it. We'll get more into the particulars of the process. But what would you say to the folks, I think, at least for myself, originally, when I the word auction comes to mind, I think of people that are maybe more desperate to sell or have a financial distress. And so this auction is sort of this last resort. What do you say to that? You know, interesting, we're on a run rate this year to close around a billion dollars in transactions. And I would say probably 60 to 75% of our sellers have no mortgage debt on their property. So they're coming to us not because they have to sell, they're coming to us because they want speed and certainty around the transaction and they want control. And I think it's kind of interesting, this just came to mind. There's sort of these other companies out there like OfferPaz and there are Zillow offers where they make these you know offers to just buy people's houses. And once again, some people are going for that because they value, in those cases, you know the speed and the certainty over the price. And in those scenarios, I feel it's it can be a little more costly for sellers because Zillow has to actually buy the home themselves or OfferPad has to buy the home themselves and then factoring their holding costs and, you know, and then actually still being able to sell it and then them making a profit. Whereas they're not even in this luxury market to begin with. And um, so you're sort of providing a similar service, which is a guaranteed sale. I think it's a good insight. And yes, you know, the properties that we focus on, our average transaction nationally or internationally is around 5.5 million properties in those price points, you know, aren't really, I mean, they may be good investments long-term in terms of just overall intrinsic value for somebody buying one, but they rarely make sense for somebody to buy and rent or flip. So the reality is, is that, you know, that consumer, meaning that homeowner of a high, very high end property, they want the speed and certainty that those other platforms offer. 
But because there isn't really an investment play for those properties, we really fill the void for sellers who want that speed and certainty and ultimately without necessarily having to sell at an investor level price. So tell me a little bit about your company and how you got started. Sure. So this is, uh, we're going into our 12th year in business. We've been active in 40 states and over 25 countries. So we have a global footprint, you know, active in as recently as last week in Thailand, San Francisco, Malibu, New York. I'm sure I'm leaving out some, some other locations. So on a week by week basis, we really are out in the leading edge of, of where markets are transacting. So that's number one. Um, But the history of the business, I spent about 10 years prior to being in this business in the luxury brokerage space. And, you know, originally kind of had a vision. I, my first career out of grad school was in the technology space, lived in the Bay area, worked in the Bay area, and was involved with a number of startups that use the auction or marketplace kind of model to bring more efficiency to transactions. So I had a thesis that it made sense to to bring that to the real estate market. Challenge being, I didn't have any experience and understood what a nuanced and competitive business it was and felt like if I was going to bring change to an industry, I needed to understand it first. So I spent the better half of a decade working in the luxury brokerage space. I would say my concept at the time was kind of a today redfin for luxury. So ultimately started out as an individual producer then opened up my own firm, used a lot of technology and tools and enabled agents within the firm to do that. And in the auction platform was really always part of the vision, which was once again, bringing more, more certainty, more predictability, more efficiency to the transaction. So it's taken almost 20 years to get to where we are today and certainly evolved and learned a lot throughout the way. But, you know, at this point, you know, virtually, you know, if a seller calls us or an agent calls us today, we can take any property in the world in six weeks, you know, have the property marketed, exposed and sold. So walk me through the process. I'm a seller in Las Vegas. I have a $5 million home. Maybe it's been on the market for a while already. Maybe it hasn't. I'm going to call you and I'm interested and I kind of want to get started. So walk me through kind of the whole process from getting it up and going to what happens when you're in the marketing and then the final sale process. So one thing I think it's important to point out is we are a very agent-friendly platform and that's not just lip service. The facts are in 12 years in business, we've never taken on an assignment without partnering with a local broker. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. And it's not just for compliance and licensure purposes. And we're licensed in many states as a brokerage because that's what the state laws require. But we still also in those states work in conjunction with a local broker. So, you know, we made a strategic choice early on to partner with the brokerage community rather than try to disintermediate the brokerage community. And as far as I'm aware, we're the only company in our category that can back that up with, we've never done a transaction, $3 billion plus without partnering with an agent. So I think it's important to point that out. The second thing, and the reason behind that is we feel strongly that we get better results for our sellers when we're working in tandem with an agent versus at odds or you know, competing with an agent. So that's really important. You know, that said, we average around 60 to 70 inbound inquiries a day from sellers from around the world. And if you were to listen in on those calls, you'd be shocked. More often than not, a big percentage of the conversation is justifying or us saying, yeah, but you need to keep your agent. And then when we call the agent after that seller's called us, 
the typical response we get is, I had no idea my, my seller was that motivated. It's pretty interesting. And so I think it's an area where in the world, the seller may be a little bit ahead of the broker in, in terms of, of, of buying into using our methodology to get their property sold. I think also, and you know, certainly I have respect for how hard it is to be a, a real estate agent or broker, let alone a top producing one. I think that a lot of times what we see is the brokers that we do the most business with have a page in their listing presentation about us or auctions. And they basically say that I'm up to speed on this. And if it's something you want to talk about, let's have the conversation versus an agent who maybe, you know, the listings are coming up for expiration and the seller's frustrated and they're on the defensive. So I think that that's also something really important. But ultimately for a seller, you know, the message of the conversation kind of goes like this, you know, selling a luxury property is difficult. Even in the best of markets, it's not easy to sell an expensive property. You know, what's the why behind that? And I think the structural backdrop is we once again, we live in the Zillow world where the history of a property in terms of the days on market is public information. And we track this in all the luxury markets around the world. You know, properties either are going to sell quickly for a high percentage of the asking price or it's going to sit and in all likelihood. And then there's kind of the now what? I think that's the structural kind of landscape we're all existing in, in terms of buying and selling real estate. And then, you know, the other thing is the pool of buyers for expensive properties is relatively small. And then on top of it, the people that can afford top tier properties, oftentimes you're competing with somebody who says, I just want to build what I have, you know, dreamt my whole life about or what I have in my head. So the challenge is the pool of buyers is small. The pool of buyers is typically spread out across an extended period of time. And then you have the clock ticking against you with Zillow. And so we're the anecdote or, you know, the, I don't want to say this, we're the medicine for that. We're the, you know, the cure for that problem because first of all, our process aggregates what existing demand there is and says, look, this is properties probably in all likelihood going to be sold in four weeks. So it's now or never. So you're able to aggregate existing demand. The second piece is you're able to bring new demand to the table. What we've learned is, is that buyers sometimes have a regional purview. Somebody may be looking in Vegas and Scottsdale and Santa Barbara. They may be looking for a warm weather spot or a different type of lifestyle or a tax-friendly state. And they have a purview that's more than just one city. So the second thing our process does is makes a property more elastic. And it puts it on the radar of people who are interested in that relative price point. weren't considering Vegas, for example, but hey, let's take a look. And then ultimately, you know, our reach is pretty significant. So one nuance about our business is, is that unlike a traditional broker where most of the agents are independent contractors and everybody has their own kind of individual database, we made a strategic choice early on in our business to one, invest significantly in technology and two, to have a common database. And so what's happened is one transaction at a time over a decade We've amassed a, a database of over 600,000 contacts, 100,000 weekly subscribers, 10,000 people that we've transacted with in one form or fashion. And so those people know when we take a property on, it's for a seller who wants to sell in a time-efficient way, willing within reason to let the market set the price. And you know, there's a high probability that that property won't be available in four weeks. So it's really the synergy of those three things that help or enable us to help an agent and a seller get the property sold. 
Got it. And when the gavel strikes, so to speak, and the winning bidder is announced, how does that work? I mean, is there money now non-refundable or what does that mean? What sort of certainty does the yeah. seller have? Yeah. So great question. One of the things that we're really proud of is that from once we have a successful auction, meaning we declared a winning bidder, our sell-through rate, meaning the percentage of those that go on to a successful closing. I mean, obviously, not every real estate deal goes through. You've been in the business. Like, it's the real estate business. Things can happen. But 95% plus that I can think of in recent memory of once we have the property sold to, you know, identified to a winning bidder, closes and closes quickly. So all of our sales are non-contingent, meaning that a bidder has a $100,000 deposit up in advance of the auction. We require them to wire that in. We don't let people show up with personal checks or cashier's checks, especially in the world we live in today. Just, you know, if you're buying a $5 million house, you can wire in $100,000 to Fidelity title. So it just weeds out the phonies. That's number one. Number two is they sign the terms and conditions of sale, which says it's an as-is transaction. There are no contingencies. If they're the winning bidder, they post an additional deposit of 10% of their high bid amount within 48 hours of the auction. And the closing is typically within 30 days. So we really pre-screen people. If people want to do diligence in advance of the auction, fantastic. We'll prepare typically a diligence package in conjunction with the local broker that includes an inspection, an appraisal, other things. Some people com- will rely completely on that. Some people want to do their own inspections. But whatever they want to do is fine. It just needs to be before they buy. Can you explain to me the difference between a reserve auction and a no reserve auction? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And I'd, I'd point out that we like both formats. So, and it really comes down to when we're analyzing a property and a seller's needs, a broker's you know, needs, really have to look at, at the property and the market conditions and figure out what is it going to take to be effective to generate the level of interest necessary to bring market value. Right. So, and we, we deem that to be, can we generate between 300 and 600 buyer inquiries? Can we generate somewhere between 25 and 50 showings? Can we generate somewhere between, you know, five to seven qualified bidders? That's the funnel that we want to deliver to a property. And then you have to look at, okay, I think there's an element of very rare, rare properties. I mean, we have three world records, the three highest sales of properties ever at auction and they were, there was no right reserve for those properties. They were very unique properties, very specialized, without any local or existing or recent comps. So if you're going to take that on, you know, a, a reserve is really futile because you just, it's a guess. That said, if it's a more affordable property where there are comps and a reserve is fantastic because you can look at where properties have been transacting and you can set the reserve at a level that's going to invite competition and where buyers can see opportunity and value, but it's not you know, guesswork. I mean, we just had two sales recently in Vegas and Lake Las Vegas, one without reserve, one with reserve, both properties sold, and it was just really tailored to the seller's you know, situation. More often than not, if a seller was focused more on upside, without reserves, a better way to go because it's going to generate more interest. It's going to generate more competition. And usually that translates into a, to a higher price versus if a seller is focused on is more risk averse, a reserve is probably a way to go because there's less guesswork. However, I point this out, and this is kind of like a, a myth. Some people think a reserve should be the seller's minimum number. And technically that's really what it is. 
But the reality is to make sure that reserve is going to be effective, you have to turn it around and say, if I had 25 showings for this property and they're all qualified people in the market in this price point, and I tell them the reserve, if more than a third of them ask me, can I buy it for less than that amount, then the reserve's too high. The reserve needs to be a number that a qualified, educated buyer says, of course, it's going to sell at that number. So do I like it? Do I want to own this property? Am I ready to compete? And so, you know, you're in Vegas, so it's kind of like the over-under for a football game. It's really important that you get that line right. If it's too high, you're going to cap the seller's upside and you're going to lose competition. And I would argue if it's too low, it's okay, you know, to blow past it. You know, that's where you have to be fine, but, or, you know, be precise. But we're cool with both formats and both can be effective. And it just really comes down to the seller's needs, objectives, and what the market conditions are like. And I can see where, you know, I've heard stories, you know, about your auctions and other auctions in general, where people got into this bidding war and the home sold or the property sold for way more than expected. Particularly, I think there was one at Metropolis that was just like, the numbers got blown out of the water because I think there's just something about like, yeah, first of all, you got to get people to the table you know, and then once they see other people bidding, I think it maybe gives them some confidence as well that they're about the value, not just that they're in a bidding war, but they feel like, oh, these other people are willing to pay that. I'm just not out here on a limb taking a risk. There's no doubt about that. I think we get certainly market prices and there are times when I think we get really premium prices for properties. And, you know, as evidenced by multiple records in states and counties and countries for not just a quarter or a year, but you know, five, 10 year, 20 year spans. So, but I think, you know, one other thing that's different about the way our approach to the, to the auction business is, is that occasionally we'll do a live auction. There's nothing better than a great live auction, but a live auction where there's not a lot of people there because they're out and about in the world is not great. I describe it's closer to a wake than a festival. And also it's kind of horse and buggy. You know, we live in a world, we're on Zoom right now and people expect to be able to do business from wherever they are, whatever they're doing. And most of our bidders at some point in time come see the property during the month leading up to the auction. This, that said, just Friday, we sold a property in, in Miami, sight unseen to a buyer from Boston out of our database, you know, purely off of photography and the airport. So we're a big proponent of digital auctions. First of all, they're way more transparent. Every single bid's tracked. Every single bid's published online. So the bidders, the field of bidders can see how many bidders there are, what other people have bid. And typically we'll conduct those over a 72 hour period. And I think that's also important because we want to make sure that, you know, our job is to get the best possible price for the seller. And we want to make sure that there's no stone left unturned. In fact, you know, the property of the two properties in Lake Las Vegas that we sold recently the one that was the higher price point, I think maybe three and a half million, I'll double check the price. But you know, that sold to a bidder who hadn't registered until well after the 72 hours. I think she was registered the last day of the bidding. And so, and that's not unusual, right? And versus if it were a live auction, she may not have bid and the seller may not have been able to get the price that they got and so or achieved. So anyways, that's our viewpoint on that. Fantastic. What does it cost? Sure. Super straightforward. So as a seller, first and foremost, we do not charge upfront fees. In the real estate auction space, you know, most of the smaller kind of regional players, when they take a property on, have to stand up a, a marketing campaign. And that costs a lot of money. It's not for the faint of heart, this business. It takes 
significant amount of capital to conduct a proper marketing campaign. Thankfully, you know, we've been able to get to a place in time where we don't charge any upfront fees. That differentiates us substantially from our peer group. So that's number one. Number two is the listing agreement's going to stay in place. So the seller is going to be responsible for paying their agent and the buyer pays our fee. So just like you buy a painting at Sotheby's or Christie's or a car at RM or Barrett Jackson, same exact way. Got it. Can you share what that buyer fee is or does that change? Yeah, our, our buyer premium is 12%. Got it. Fantastic. So I'm in Las Vegas, you know, where we've got Henderson and Summerlin and Lake Las Vegas and all these master plan communities. And you've obviously got a lot of experience here. Do you have any advice to people, homeowners in Las Vegas that might be considering? Like, for example, is there kind of a minimum price that this would be good for or just any other? Is there a better season or any of that kind of advice? So what I would say is this, first of all, I sold a property a couple of years ago, but, and I hired an agent to sell my property. I don't focus on that geography and it's, it wasn't the price point of the homes that we typically sell. And so this is the advice I took myself and I give everybody. If you're going to sell your house, interview three brokers, three qualified brokers, whether that's the number one producer, it's the person who specializes in your neighborhood or referral from a good trusted advisor or whatever it is. Interview the three brokers. Hire the one you like the best, right? At that level, they're going to be competent people. Regardless of who you list with, go with the lowest list price you heard from the three and then make the first offer you get work. And before you do a price reduction, call me. And so that's the advice that I give people. It's the advice I follow myself. Now, the price reduction question is this, you know, I always play this back to an agent to say, with the seller on the call to say, you know, okay, Rob, you know, seller Susie is going to be out of the country for 60 days. And she's given you power of attorney to sell her property and absolute authority to list it at any price you want. Okay. However, okay, here's the only caveat. If the property's not sold and closed by the time she's back, you're fired. Okay. What's the list price supposed to be? And usually in the high end, there's, I don't know. What I would say is then that's the right situation for us versus if they say it's a $3 million listing and if I cut this to $2,650, i will move it in a month, then do that. And, and that's just kind of in general, the properties that are appropriate for auction are properties where a price reduction is going to be ineffective, counterproductive, and it probably devalue the property. And so that's where we need to have the conversation. And I would argue in today's you know, Zillow world, you know, list with a top broker at an independent firm, at one of the national firms, they have plenty of tools and reach. And if that property is going to sell, it's going to happen in the first six months, or you're in it for the long haul. And I want to come in and save them the two to three years of brain damage, and really, ultimately, inferior financial result. Because for most of our clients, $5 million today is better than some unknown number in five years or three years. And so that's my viewpoint in every market. And that threshold may change. You know, in Greenwich, Connecticut, that threshold may be 5 million. In Vegas, it might be three. In Beverly Hills, it might be 10 million. Every market has what I call a glass ceiling where price reductions just aren't going to move the property. And so that's really the over under that we look at to, to make sure we're adding value. Got it. In every market in the country, there's a price point or a threshold. I call it the glass ceiling, where price reductions are ineffective. 
And I think that's really the point where we come in, where a seller says to their agent, hey, you know, Rob, what do we need to do to, to pick up the pace here? And when you know professionally that the price reduction isn't the problem, the problem is the pool of buyers is not deep enough. There's no matter how much money you have, there's just not enough momentum and you need to be more aggressive. And so I think that's really important. The other piece is, and increasingly we're seeing sellers, primarily repeat clients, come back to us and always once again in conjunction with a local agent, but go straight to auction on our platform and skip the traditional market and really try to do two things. One, you know, the pent up demand that's existing for people looking for fresh inventory, get all those people plus our urgency, plus our reach, plus the marketing campaign. And I think that's really going to be the big trend you know, we're going to be seeing in the coming years as our business evolves. Absolutely. And I can vouch for, I mean, everything that you just said, because especially I, I see it every time, every time I go and meet with a seller, I pull not only the sales, but I also pull the histories of those properties and how long did it take for them to sell. And it generally happened just like that. Or maybe they were in a price range where the price change did matter, and then they still sold. And then there's those that have just been lifetime listings in the MLS where they've just been on for years and years. And I think it's one of those things that sellers really have a hard time being objective about is that there is competition out there. Particularly in Las Vegas, people generally are gravitating towards newer builds, more modern looks. Not everyone, but that's generally absorbing a lot of the buyers is the newer stuff. And they can build, you know, whether it's, you know, with Toll Brothers or Pulte Homes or production semi-custom home builder or Christopher Homes, or just going full custom, whether it's in the Ridges or Southern Highlands or the Summit. These buyers, as you said, they have options. It's not California where if you want to build a custom home, you got to buy one and tear it down. And so I think being able to create that scenario that really takes advantage of the urgency and creates that competition is exciting. Absolutely. And I'm certainly, uh, I'm, for what it's worth, bullish on Las Vegas as a market. And I think that it's certainly an attractive place to be for all the reasons that we know in terms of tax-friendly economy, the Raiders. I'm excited to get out there for a game. So certainly we do business everywhere, but I love when we have a chance to do business in Vegas. So Chad, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you folks? Concierge or feel free to call me directly at 212-257-5171. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Luxury Real Estate Talk with Rob Jensen. If you like what you heard, please share with your friends and colleagues and give us some stars. We would love to hear your feedback. Connect with Rob at robjensen.com.